Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Like Stars Podcast, uh, second ever uh, interview with my friend Michael Magera. The last one, Hello. we called it Old Testament Conundrums, and I guess we're going to call this Old Testament Conundrums 2, <laughs> Weird Prophet Stuff. That's what, you, that's what you brought up, right? It's true. Yeah. So the last time we met, uh, and I, we, we shared this before, um, sometimes you and I just get together and just talk theology, yeah. whatever, and uh, you know, whatever, a month or two ago, we kind of the idea of, let's just turn on the mics, why not? Because uh, a lot of it is, I don't know. I wouldn't say a lot of it, but some of it is questions other people ask. Some of it are questions that I don't think they've ever been asked before yeah. to me, but uh, <laughs> last, it's fun. Last time we talked, you said, have you ever asked your wife these questions? What does she think? <laughs> and so I thought, went back to my wife and said, hey, babe, have you ever thought of these things? And she said, uh, absolutely not. So <laughs> Never crossed she, my mind. But she said, but I know that those are great questions. And so it's good to ask them. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, and some of it is just, you know, like I... Unlike stars, a lot of times I'll take questions that people send in yeah. uh, or get out to me, reach out to me. And this is just like, well, if we have questions, why not just make it an episode? So um, we, the last time we talked, again, we talked about Old Testament stuff because yeah. you've been going through the Old Testament. It's you've true. just been reading it, studying it yourself. Yeah. And it's kind of, we're in this rhythm where you just write random questions down and then every five, six weeks or so, we just get together. Yeah. And, um, and we were in like kind of the Kings and mm -hmm. Chronicles area last time we met. But now since then, you've moved into the prophets. That's true. Yeah. And and I've actually probably am, I don't know, even further than what where these questions are. I wrote these a few weeks ago. Um, You're like but, in Revelation. Now, right? No, <laughs> definitely not that quick. But but yeah, no, definitely into the, the, the first couple are still in the book of Kings, but more focused on on questions related to prophets and prophecies and hmm. things that the prophets have said so cool we'll see if if anybody else has ever had these questions or if not if they and we don't have a answers. we don't have a sponsor for this episode <laughs> uh so maybe it's just the sponsor is weird random questions yeah the sponsor will be these uh these references in the bible yeah. great great bedtime stories to read to your uh elementary school kids I'm not sure if that's the best hey there's some there's some doozies in there yeah well, let's dive in. What, I mean, sure. what, what have you been reading? What's been yeah. going on? And and as I just real quick, I've said this before, like, yeah, uh, other times I do this podcast, I spend some time thinking about it, researching it, whatever. I briefly glanced at your phone <laughs> five minutes ago. But so this will be a little bit. This is more raw. And uh, if I say something really stupid, um, you'll never know because I'll have deleted it out. <laughs> the power of editing yes so oh. it's like and that's what i anyway what i was gonna get, just know that i said something stupid and you yeah. didn't get to hear it so awesome yeah. all right so let's jump into it yeah uh what's up with prophets in the old testament when they're described as prophesying it all often seems super weird and yeah. i wrote down a few examples numbers 11 25 and 26 first samuel 10 10 and 11 um the spirit of the lord continuing to come upon people and they prophesy first samuel nineteen twenty, uh the dude prophesies and gets naked for an extended period of time you uh, get hot you get a lot of exercise you try and, to cool. <laughs> uh, yeah and uh ezekiel four twelve, eating bread cooked over poop um so it was just curious as to why the god of the universe who hmm. chooses how to communicate these um these messages to his people it seems odd and for me as a very logical orderly person um 
it seems intriguing as to why God chose those methods hmm. to communicate those messages. And I wasn't sure if there was ever any classes or research you did into that kind of stuff. Well, a little bit. And like a lot of times when we dive into tough questions, um, one of the first things I always like to do is I like to break things apart and yeah. get to their fundamentals. Because a lot of times when you start unpacking or breaking things apart, you realize maybe some things looked connected but weren't mm -hmm. and had different answers. And so a blanket answer doesn't necessarily always help. Mm -hmm. So like with your question, you gave some examples. I, I think even in your examples, there's some probably unpacking and separating yeah. to do. Yeah. And the first is this, uh, some, let's let's call them prophetic actions. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's, that's my word, I made that up. Prophetic yeah. actions were especially um, Jeremiah, a little bit Ezekiel, some other places, were like um, meant to be provocative and to do a behavior that symbolized something else. Yeah. So whether Jeremiah is like sleeping on the side or, you know, all the, like, you know, cooking food over manure, like there's this sense of like, um, you think everything is fine and God will protect you, but actually God is about to punish yeah. you because of your wickedness and pretty yep. soon, like your comfortable life is gonna go away. Here's a weird symbolic metaphor for that about to happen. Yeah. So you see sometimes the prophets doing weird things that uh, were symbolic. Yeah. They weren't meant to be like, oh, that's normal. <laughs> the person seeing the prophet do that would have been like, what are you doing? Totally. Because there was this sense of like over the topness about it yeah. I think sometimes. And normally it does if you read the, the context of what happens afterwards. They then give their message and then, uh, you know, alliterate or explain, hey, yeah. this is how it connects. But even then, I was like, man, that's it's still a little weird. bit weird. And some of that, <laughs> like in all of this, you have to be like, well, it's an ancient culture. Yeah. Certain things, you know, and this is a really simplistic thing to say, but it does kind of tie in. If if I told you, um, uh, I was praying and I felt the Holy Spirit said my message on Sunday was going to be a home run. Well, you hear that and your brain tells you, oh, Pete is confident it's going to go well. Mm -hmm. Well, somebody that doesn't know American culture yeah. would hear me say that and be like, what? Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're telling people to run back home? Yeah. There's a cultural tie that makes sense in my culture where a home run refers to a successful play in baseball. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, you're like, well, what does that have to do with eating food cooked <laughs> over poop? Um, well, like if you think about, uh, and I, I'm, I'm completely spitballing here, yeah. but like a culture that, um, you know, has to work hard to create food and cook food and, and you don't go to grocery store, like, yeah. and what you use to make food uh, is predominantly you find wood and you find other good materials to make a good fire. Yeah. Well, what if your whole world is in chaos and your city's under siege and you're starving, like, what are you eating? Like, here's this picture that yeah. you and I look at and be like, that is just weird. Mm -hmm. Whereas someone living 3000 years ago would hear it as a, um, oh, he's, that's that's sort of like a metaphor for things are gonna go really bad for gotcha. us. Gotcha. Um, especially if our city's under siege and we're all yeah. starving and I yeah. can't get access to food or make a good fire or things like that. So there are times where you almost have to step back and say, before I judge this too harshly, I'm going to give some benefit of the doubt the fact that there might be some cultural thing happening here. Gotcha. Other times, 
you see in the reaction of the people hearing or seeing it mm -hmm. that they were like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then you know that here's some kind of over the top trying to get people's attention, doing yeah. something. So, sorry, I was only, I had only partly answered the original question uh, because I was trying to separate. Got it. Because the other half, which you're, you asked one question, but it kind of had two sides. It's true. There are times in the scriptures, um, I think of uh, when um, King Saul, mm -hmm. uh, it said, is Saul among the prophets because he was prophesying. Correct. Yep. The context and the way it's described while you can't necessarily say this is exactly what they're doing, you're kind of getting the picture that they're acting a little bit crazy. Yeah. And there's something, whatever. Um, they are not in control, it almost seems. Maybe not in control is yeah. a good way to say it. Um, so in those instances, what that, and that's separate, right? That's a Correct. different thing. Yep. And the difference is this, primarily. When you're talking about like Jeremiah did this or Ezekiel did this, you're talking about a prophet of God who was giving a message to people. Yep. What you're talking about is like when they use the word prophesying, mm -hmm. there's almost like a um, what today might be called like a charismatic kind of yes. experience happening. Yep. Um, now, this is a really, really difficult area. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think a podcast like this is probably one of the better places to explore this. I don't know. <laughs> I'm doing Sunday morning messages about this. Yeah. That was definitely part of the ancient world's culture mm -hmm. from a paganist perspective gotcha so you can read other accounts and i mean honestly even hollywood when they depict the ancient world they still you know like the oracle is going into some yep. kind of trance and shaking yep. and then the, um the there's a long history of people hearing from the gods in these sort of like trance-like experiences and so i think the danger would be to simply go way over to maybe like a hyper liberal place and say, oh, they weren't really prophets. They were just doing what all the ancient world did when their gods were talking and went crazy. Mm -hmm. I think that there's probably something that's more in the middle. And I think the middle ground is number one, um, this is my opinion. Okay, we're, we're, in, we're in my opinion land here. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, when you look at history, cultures, things, one of the things, and this is a Christian argument, a Christian argument that's often made is that the devil is a copycat of God's things. And that some of the things that the pagan cultures were doing were, you could make the argument, a, a ripoff yeah. or a falsehood of the real thing. So let me say what I do know from scripture. First, going all the way back to at least Moses, there is a concept in the Old Testament in the Jewish culture that is surrounded with the word Messiah. Mm -hmm. um, the word Messiah, we, we, we assign it to Jesus. Um, in, in Greek, the word Messiah is Christ. The word Messiah literally translates as anointed one, which has a very important history. So anointing, uh, and you're like, okay, where are we going here? Anointing is to put oil on which doesn't really explain much, does it? Except when you understand that in their world, it was symbolic. Yeah. So an anointing was symbolism. It, it wasn't, putting oil on somebody wasn't, a, it didn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. It represented something bigger. And what it represented was the idea, and, and this will be fun with prepositions. In the Old Testament, we see the spirit of God coming upon yep. people mm -hmm. and i and i'm stressing the word upon because 
That's distinct or different from the New Testament in which the Holy Spirit comes in within. and within. Yeah. But there's still some upon people even in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And when the upon is used in both the Old and the New, you see a similarity. Hmm. When the Holy Spirit comes upon people in the Old Testament, that was anointing. Yeah. Um, and here's the key. When what that meant was it, it had a, it had a very specific symbolic idea behind it. If God put his spirit upon you, he was empowering you to lead. So Moses had the Holy yep. Sp the spirit of God came upon him. A lot of the judges like Samson had the spirit come upon him mm -hmm. um, to do some great work or and or and or. Um, to prophesy yep. and to announce to the people what God is saying. So anyone that was anointed or had the spirit upon them was either a leader, uh, a great person, or some type of prophetic figure. And while you don't see necessarily other, like you don't see Moses necessarily doing that, as far as we know, mm -hmm. David had the whole the spirit upon him. Um, and he wasn't like shaking and being weird, but you definitely see many other examples in the Old Testament of the Spirit coming upon people yeah. and them behaving and acting in somewhat of an ecstatic manner. This—that's all you can get at, right? Mm -hmm. From there, you just have to get back into your opinion. Looking at the New Testament, you actually see the same thing happen. Um, so there's this moment where. Uh, you know, Moses prays and the spirit comes upon a bunch of people and yep. they start prophesying. Even the guys who aren't with them. Yeah. yeah. And someone comes to Moses and says, hey, they're prophesying. Yep. He's like, why are you mad? I'm, I want everyone to prophesy. Totally. You pick up in the prophet Joel, who says in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, mm -hmm. not just leaders and kings, but slaves and, and men, women, yeah. children. Yep. Um, then in Acts, uh, starting in chapter two, uh, it actually says they were praying and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And what happened? They, they go out in the street and people think they're drunk. Yep, so in the New Testament, you actually see a continuation. And Peter stands up and said, this is a fulfillment mm -hmm. of Joel's prophecy that in the end days, the Spirit will be poured out on all people. Yeah. And then you pick up in Corinthians and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and saying, hey, about these spiritual gifts, mm -hmm. when the Holy Spirit comes upon you guys and you're together, I need to give you some clarity and some instruction because you guys are acting crazy and it's getting out of hand. Mm -hmm. So even in the first century church, you see almost a, a, that connection to whatever Saul and his friends were doing. Yeah. Some type of, we use the word charismatic because mm -hmm. charisma, gift, charisma, yeah. the gifts of spirit. Um, but they would have, in the Old Testament, they would have just said the spirit is upon Paul or Saul. Yeah, yeah. And in the New Testament, they use similar language. The spirit is upon us. Mm -hmm. So there is something um, and ecstatic is a dangerous word because ecstatic, you might think of like Greek oracles who were, or even you know people that do drugs and start shaking. And I'm hearing from the gods, you know. Yeah. I think that is a shadow of the real thing. Mm. That there are times when the spirit comes upon people and there is an energy, there is an excitement. What I don't believe because of the New Testament, all right, because mm. of the same spirit of God that came upon yep. Moses and Saul yeah. is the same spirit of God that came upon Peter and Paul mm -hmm. and me. And Peter and Paul were not out of control. Yeah. They looked drunk. Peter said, you think we're drunk, but actually we're in complete control. Yeah. We're just really happy and excited because God's presence is with us. Mm -hmm. And there's something amazing happening here. To your eyes, it looks like we're being crazy and stupid. Yeah. You just don't understand because this is the Holy Spirit 
and it's fun. It's exciting. Yeah. We're not out of control. We're not in a trance. We're not, you know, our eyes haven't gone back in the back of our heads and we're spouting weirdness. They were spouting weirdness. Yeah. They were speaking in different languages, but they were in control. Yeah. And so I think if you go back in the Old Testament, you don't actually see, there's no reference to people being out of control. Hmm. You don't, it's not like, it, it looks maybe on the surface like someone, was Saul just like shaking or something? Well, no, it says he was praising God. Yeah. Yeah. He was announcing the goodness of God. Like, yeah. it looks like he was excited. He was happy. He was singing. He was mm -hmm. probably, God is saying this. Like the spirit of God came upon him yeah. and something happened. So, I know this is a really long answer, <laughs> but good. it's a big question. Yeah. The yeah. charismatic expression in the New Testament seems to have some home in the Old Testament mm -hmm. among when people prophesied. Yeah. And that being said, anything which is true and of God always gets perverted and abused by things that are not of God. Yeah. I think other pagan cultures have tried to steal that and make something and made it a loss of control or a weirdness or a craziness. Yeah. Um, which again, I can't point to a verse and defend that. That's my opinion. Yeah. But I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. Yeah. So no, that's I think, was that like a 30 minute answer? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we almost. just used up the whole podcast. All right. <laughs> this has me. been. Uh, you're <laughs> no, that was good. Good question though. Yeah. And thanks for answering both portions of it because it definitely had the two two sides mm. of it. Um, going into an example in 1 Kings 20 verses 35 to 38. Um there's a prophet that tells someone to hit him, to strike him. And when he doesn't, he condemns him to be eaten by a lion, which seems really odd. Like if someone came up to me and said, hey, God told me that you need to hit me. I'd be like, yeah, no, not going to do that. And it seems like that was an interesting in exchange. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. Those are the kind of passages that. Yeah. I mean, people <laughs> that <laughs> to be honest, people that want to go at the Bible, have a field day with. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I, I know, I, I just don't think I could give a good answer to that. Yeah. Um, there's things that I don't know about that passage. Mm -hmm. uh, there's things that, uh, you know, I hear it and I say, okay, um, if you know, let's, let's, let's break it down. If you know that someone's a prophet. Yeah. Or if you believe someone's a prophet. Yeah. And this is the Old Testament when a prophet was, the Holy Spirit's yeah. upon them. They're yeah. the man or woman of God. Whatever they say is God mm -hmm. speaking. And that person says, God wants you to do this. And you say no. And you say no. The the It has a different weight than just telling a random story. That's true. Oh, I asked you to hit me. You didn't. Wait, a, a prophet, you believe was a prophet, was looking for some kind of... And again, remember I said at the beginning how some prophets did these behaviors or yeah. actions or symbolic moments to mm -hmm. symbolize something. Yeah. And... I guess that's the best I could do with that passage is yeah. this prophet is saying, do you trust that I am actually a prophet and I'm telling you that God's leading me to do some symbolic action? Um, now, praying that he gets eaten by a lion. <laughs> now you're just in an ancient world that's pretty dark. Yeah, It's clear that just because you're a prophet doesn't mean you're a good person. Mm. Um, like they were probably, like Saul was among the prophets and was a terrible king. Yeah. Um, and that continues into the New Testament. There are people who have the Holy Spirit and their moral character, whatever is it with it. I, I, I'm not, I guess what I'm saying is like, well, it says it's a prophet and he did bad things. Well, that's all over the Old Testament. Gotcha. So I don't want to speak into that. Is it, am I meant to read yeah. that story as a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not sure. It's hard. It's yeah. hard to say. Well, and similarly, the next one is very similar, right? Where in 2 Kings 2, verses 23 and following, 
it tells of some youth who mocked Elisha, oh, yeah. right? And how in the <laughs> name of Baldy. in the name of the Lord, he cursed them, and bears came out and killed him. If we don't have power as humans, but miracles are performed by the Lord through us, would we then say that it was God's will for that as a as a punishment for that foolish mockery? Oof. And then how do we compare that to? Well, we should turn the other cheek, as described in the New Testament from Jesus's mouth. Yeah. Or is that an example I, again of of another meltdown example of Elisha, you know, doing something and you know? Man, I don't know. Truly. I really don't know. It could be. You yeah. could, you know, our initial reaction when reading the scriptures is always to find the well. This is the man of God. So what's the moral yeah. here? Yeah. Does the author of Kings want you to see Elisha having <laughs> a bad moment? Yeah. Um. Probably the part of that story that is the hardest for you and I to grasp. Mm-hmm because of culture yeah um this is this is a very dated reference i apologize some of the people watching are a little older than it was when i was i don't even remember when it was i want to say at least 20 some years ago yeah there was a big story in the news of a group of americans that went to singapore and like vandalized something and they were on trial and convicted and got caned yeah (laughs) do you remember that i do and I remember being an American and being like, what is this, the dark ages? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not condoning caning people, yeah. right? But I'm even just saying like, even just 20, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. like it's not like Singapore is some third world, you know, pygmy village. Mm-hmm. Like it's a high tech developed society yeah. who believed very strongly culturally that respect yeah. was integral to a healthy society. Yeah. So to mock anyone, especially a prophet of God yeah. in Jewish culture, you know, for us, we're just like, oh, you said something mean to somebody. That's not nice. What, right. But like, we don't have, we're not in an honor shame culture. Yeah. We're not in yeah. a culture where of all the people in their culture who deserved utmost respect, it was Elisha, the yeah. prophet. Yeah. To mock him was more, and we think of like, I don't think you're meant to read that story as like teasing. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, nice hair, buddy. No, yeah. I think it was a, I reject you as a prophet. I don't I don't respect your authority. Because um, you would never say that to a prophet if you respected them as yeah. a prophet of God. Really. So there's that undercurrent. Mm. Now, does that justify what Elisha did? Um, I certainly don't think we should do that. I don't yeah. think that's good. He's not the only one that called cursing upon his enemies. David mm. did, and David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah. Uh, the impeccatory Psalms, like there's tons of them. Break the teeth of my enemies. Mm. Uh, I wish I could bash your children against a rock. Like, <laughs> what? What are you doing? Um, I think even people that were prophets and kings and wrote wrote Psalms had yet to fully experience and understand what it means to love your enemy and live. And it, that alone, I think keeping that in mind. Yeah, helps me read the gospels better because when Jesus is saying things about loving your enemy, these people, you and I are like, well, of course, that's what you're supposed to do. He was talking to people whose scriptures said things like this. Yeah, yeah. Um, who read David's angry psalms about smashing his, you know, his enemies' heads in. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Jesus to come against that, yeah. the entire Jewish culture was like, what? No, we don't. We call down curses on our enemies, yeah. and even even. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. Uh, the sons of thunder was it James and John. Yeah, uh, it wasn't John, was it? Anyway, I think so. They call they, Jesus. Yeah. Do you want us to call down thunder yeah. and lightning and destroy all those people? <laughs> He's like, no. And you and I hear that like, well, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, that was like that was everyone in every culture of the world in that day. Like Jesus yeah. was completely shifting a paradigm that everybody held, not just the Jewish people. Yeah. Gotcha. So, 
And that can be hard when you're reading it backwards and looking, reading texts from ancient world that don't have our values. Yeah. Caning people, what? <laughs> <laughs> I need to remember that. And I think at that same time, I was like, oh, so I like looked up online, I'm like, I don't know what Google wasn't the thing. I don't know what, what I looked, ask Jeeves or something. And it was like, <laughs> Jeeves, it was like oh, what are the rules? And it was something about like, it's illegal to chew gum in Singapore at that it time or something. something. Like and it was that, like, yeah. wow, this is so different than how I grew yeah. up. So. But if you were, the thing to keep in mind, yeah. we're not talking about right or wrong here. Yeah. That's a different issue. Yeah. If you were living in Singapore, you were like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course I should be caned. Just understanding your culture. That's culture. just your culture. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I want to live in a culture that thinks it's okay to cane somebody for chewing gum, mm. but at least if I can understand where they're coming from, it yeah. helps me process it. Yeah. Agreed. So. Moving on down. These are uh, fun ones. These are weird ones, man. <laughs> Every time we meet, it's the Old Testament conundrums. We'll be out of Old Testament at some point. I then we'll find all the weird things in the New Testament. Second <laughs> uh, Kings. Chapter 13, verse 17, has Elisha prophesy that the king will defeat the Armenians until they are destroyed. But the next verse, verses 18 and then through 19, speaks of the king only defeating them three times because the king didn't hit the ground five or six times. And Which, it's this weird. And, yeah. and I was like, again, this could be cultural stuff that maybe we don't understand or maybe you have more insight into the history of it. But right. the, that passage always confuses me as to, oh, man. You know, this gets into my personality of like, oh, do I need to do things a specific certain way or else I'm not going to get fully blessed by what the Lord has and what his will is for my life. And that one brings up those insecurities in me. Mm. Of, oh, man, this king was told he's going to defeat them. Now hit the ground. OK, cool. Smack, smack, smack. Uh, didn't do it right. Got to do it five times or six. And then you would have actually defeated them until they were done. Mm. And so I just wasn't sure if there's more that you knew about in that passage i don't I, I think that you're you're again at a passage that you know i i mean if i had a, if i was in my office and i could pull out some yeah some uh cultural we can pause textbooks bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess i would just say like to the, the to my current knowledge i don't know of any yeah. other i don't know of any like well in the ancient Mesopotamian culture hitting the ground <laughs> i don't i think you're you're at a story that probably my 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 gut feeling would be again you're probably we're probably missing some context yeah um i always try to use my imagination in those moments not because i'm trying to you know make things up in my head no but my imagination lets me see like well what what different ways could the person have been behaving or acting that might change the story mm. and so what i'll do is i'll i'll run the story through my head of a guy who is genuinely trying and he's like, okay, what do I do? You know, and then being like, well, you failed. I'm like, well, that sucks. And I'm like, that, that, that doesn't seem right. So yeah. then I'll change the story. I'm like, what if he's like this like apathetic guy who doesn't really believe this? Like, this is stupid. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the story has shifted. And now like name and not wanting to go into the Yeah, dump, this is dumb. Dump. I don't want to do yeah, this. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to go in the water seven times. That's stupid. Yeah. And the issue isn't performance, the issue is ultimately trust in your attitude towards God. Mm. That's a good example you just brought up, and I was actually going to reference it. Um, I forgot his name, so I wasn't going to. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. There's a story where he took cure of leprosy. They say dip seven times. Like, yeah. This is dumb. I'm not doing this. Yeah. But he does eventually, and he gets cured yeah. and healed. And it's not some magical formula. It's a matter of your attitude, and your heart, and your trust mm -hmm. in God. And you see that a little bit with Jesus in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, and so, 
with with that story of of the leprosy and the dipping you actually get the whole thing yeah you even get nahum's attitude you even get him saying this is dumb i don't want to do this you're like oh i see the problem here is Nah. with the story you just referenced yeah. i don't get any of that yeah i don't know any of the context but if i can imagine that context the story takes shape for me yeah now i could be imagining wrong and there might be i might be completely misunderstanding that but i guess i'm saying that because i'm able to find uh, is peace the right word or i'm able to find some closure yeah. to a passage that otherwise is really crazy to it's me. really crazy yeah so, no, that's helpful and it's a it's a way of thinking that i see i see it happen in other places in the bible i'm not i'm not just making it out of correct i'm, I'm looking aligns. at Nahum. Yeah. yeah i see other places name yeah, i yeah. see other places where kings or rulers yeah. were said show that you trust god totally. here and they were like ah yeah so i can maybe apply that given that i see other places that's that's the best i can probably no, offer that's good that's it's better than what i had i was just like man what is this so <laughs> yeah thanks. uh oh and then we're jumping all over the place sorry jumping to hosea hosea it seems so, so i guess maybe i moved this one up to it because it's real similar to relationships with uh prophets it seems odd that god instructed hosea to love a married woman and then to procure her as a harlot as an analogy i can get it but it isn't one of those things those you can't say that the end justify the means i kind of feel like okay let me good so i want to make sure i understand the way that you worded that question because hosea didn't love a married woman he was married to her she was his wife Gotcha. Yeah, he married her and she was unfaithful. Oh, okay. So the picture is there's 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 really there is a problem in Hosea that theologians wrestle with. Yeah. But that's not the problem. Okay. So the issue is his wife is just sleeping around all the time and he wants to just get rid of her. But instead, God says, stay with her and love her as a picture of how I feel about Israel. Okay. Because she's doing that to me. Uh, just the way that your wife is doing it to you, the, these people are doing that to me. The challenge of the book of Hosea, of course, is that not that God would say that. That actually doesn't seem that far outside mm-hmm. of God's will or God's plan, the way he works, stay with your wife. The problem is the beginning seems to suggest that God told Hosea to marry a woman who is not going to be faithful to him. Like, go marry this unfaithful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're like, wait, did God want hosea to be in a bad marriage just to make a point to some people that's a challenge yeah um and that makes the book very difficult to work through yeah because if hosea had just married her and she turned out to be a mess and mm-hmm. then god said oh this is a picture of that's different if hosea knew what he was getting into and god said do this because i want to use your broken relationship yeah. that's like man god that, that ain't cool it's <laughs> rough um he wouldn't be the only prophet who was given the short straw in order to announce judgment on Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jeremiah had a terrible life. Others did. Um, it's also possible that that phrase is more like, yeah, I made this decision, but God kind of knew it was going to happen because he was going to use this. That's another way you could gotcha. sort of read it. Yeah. I don't actually know. Maybe God did say, no, I want you to marry her. I had a student when I was uh, early on in youth ministry dating a girl who wasn't even really a Christian. She started coming and, I, and he was like one of our leaders. And I remember being like, dude, like what is going on? What are you doing here? And he's like, well, I I just, I was, I was, I, I want to know whether God told me I should date or not. And I opened my Bible. Hosea. And, uh, Hosea. So I'm like, bro, no, yeah. no, no, no. You're not a prophet. <laughs> You're not <laughs> announcing destruction on Israel. 
God does not want you to get into an unhealthy, dysfunctional mm-hmm. relationship. Um, that is not God's will for your life. Uh, and he's like, well, it was for Jose. I was like, I don't care. It's not for you. I'm speaking for the Lord. It's not for you. Uh, so yeah, Hosea, I think Hosea is in the same way that Ezekiel did something that painted a picture or Jeremiah, you know, yeah. laid on his side naked or something. Yeah. The entire book of Hosea is a lived out prophecy. Mm. Um, and I think the best way to interpret it is he was in this situation and God said, don't divorce her. I want to use this to show what they're doing to me uh, as an example. Gotcha. That, that's how I would interpret it. Thanks. Uh, in Hosea chapter four, verse two, there's something that I was curious is if it's a prophecy of Jesus in the resurrection. It says hmm. he will revise up, revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. And again, it's talking about Israel. But I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder if Very that was anything that sure. had been brought up before. I don't know all of the Old Testament um, prophecies. So, so it's funny because I literally have no idea. Um, like I didn't even know that was in there. You just said that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, man, I don't see why not. I think a lot of times in the prophets, there are these unexpected snippets mm-hmm. that 400 years later, it's yeah. like, oh, that was a prophecy. Like it was really. Um, things that might have just looked like random statements turned out to be future. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I don't know if you would, if the original audience of Hosea read that, would they probably were, that. oh, the, yeah. the future Messiah is going <laughs> to die and be written. They wouldn't have thought that. No. But I, you know, I think there's something there. You know, Jonah, three days, things like yeah. that. So yeah, um, yeah, very, very possible. Cool. In uh, Isaiah chapter one, verses 15 through 18 seem to be, giving a process and um but what it appears when i looked at it closer the process seems to say we sin then god doesn't hear our prayers we cease to do evil then god hears us and cleanses us and i know that you and i have talked before Mm -hmm. about how hey it's there are differences in the old covenant versus the new covenant right and so this might be one of those examples but i was curious yeah even back then is that the case or was it's not just that there are differences in covenant it is what is Isaiah writing about? Yeah. Okay. So Isaiah lived at a period of time uh, between. So the kingdom of Israel divided in half after Solomon's son made some bad decisions. Mm-hmm. The northern half became known as Israel. The southern half became known as Judah. Yeah. As you follow the story through the books of First and Second Kings, the northern half kind of gets progressively worse and worse. Yeah. And eventually, the dominant world force at the time were known as the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in and conquered the north. Mm-hmm. Right the south of judah where jerusalem was um doesn't fall in fact they have a decent king at the time named hezekiah isaiah is living at that time so he kind of is in this meantime and it's around i think it's about 150 ish years or so between that moment and when babylon destroys jerusalem Mm. so isaiah lives between those times so the assyrians in in isaiah are the the threat, right? They're the dominant force that's looming, wanting to conquer. Yep. And a couple times they actually do come to conquer. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Hezekiah prays and Isaiah says, God's going to restore, rescue you. And something happens in the middle of the night, something. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're saved from the Assyrians. But during that period of time, Isaiah begins to prophesy and his message isn't for the Northern kingdom. The Northern kingdom already fell. His yeah. message is for the Southern kingdom. Yeah. And his message is basically this, um, don't think that because 
you have the temple and Jerusalem that you're okay. Mm-hmm. Cause that's kind of the mindset you see it in, Jer- in Jeremiah as well. Yeah. We're God, we're not going to fall the North. They were, they were, they were heretic pagans. We're not going to fall. Mm-hmm. We're fine. God loves us. Mm-hmm. Isaiah begins to say, no, 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 you're not. Um, you're going to fall as well. If you don't change the shift between Isaiah and Jeremiah is that Isaiah still has hope. Um, Jeremiah has no hope. Gotcha. Jeremiah's message, which happens about what, 60 years later is, this is over, just surrender peacefully and gotcha. it'll go easy for you. Yeah. Isaiah is still like, there's still hope for you, mm-hmm. but it's you're at the end of the rope. If you don't change, it's over. Yeah. So um, the whole beginning of Isaiah is an announcement that this whole thing that God is doing with you is gonna come to an end because you're failing to live up to your side of the covenant, but it's not too late. So mm-hmm. if you if you stop now, it's not too late. And that's an important distinction because when you're reading the prophets, if you don't keep these timelines straight, it can yeah. get really confusing. Yeah. Because you open up Jeremiah or Ezekiel and they're just like, no, no, doom, 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 you're all dead. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, wait, where's the hope? And then, well, because they lived 60 years later, didn't change. Isaiah was the last voice. Well, that's not true. Some of the minor prophets, but the main voice, Isaiah, was the last one saying, this is it, guys. Mm-hmm. Like you saw the Assyrians, you're not going to follow the Assyrians, but if you don't change now, you're going to fall eventually. Gotcha. Um, so that's where you get that. If you repent, he'll yeah. wipe your sins away. Yeah. What's, or, or if you, if you act differently, what you don't want to do there is, is read you, that into our, you don't want to read yeah. that into the new Testament concept of grace yeah. and salvation forgiveness. It's not what they're talking about. Yeah. He's talking about their place as a nation, a physical nation on earth, representing the glory of God through Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And like that is ending if you guys don't clean this up because yeah. you guys are supposed to be shining God's goodness and glory and people were supposed to look at you and see, oh, this is great, we want that. Instead, you're acting as bad or worse than your pagan neighbors yeah. and you're making God look stupid and he's done with it. Yeah. So either change or this is over. Mm. Um, and so that's Isaiah's message. And by the time you get to the latter half of the book, the whole first part of Isaiah, he's just change, change or die, change or die, change or die. Then he gets to, well, actually, it's going to go bad for you, but there's goodness on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. So Isaiah sees beyond the captivity. Okay. But more than most of the other, well, no, that's not true. I, I don't want to say more. Like of the four main ones, because the four, the four major of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, Isaiah is the most, there's still time here. Mm-hmm. And then you get to, you know, Ezekiel's later and then Daniel's already in captivity. So he has a little bit of that. If you change now, God will relent and not send calamity on you. Yeah, gotcha. Isaiah 7, 10 through 14 seems odd with Jesus's words in Matthew 14, 4 regarding a sign. So specifically Ahaz appears to be chastised by God for not asking for a sign. But then Jesus says that a wicked generation are the ones who ask for a signs. So how do we understand those two together? Hmm. Um, okay, I'm gonna have to like jog my memory here. And I can pull Ahaz up. Ahaz was, I believe Ahaz was the last king who had a chance. Cause you'll eventually have Josiah who's a good king, but at that point, God's already done with him. Hmm. Um, Ahaz, if I'm not wrong, is threatened by the Assyrians. And instead of trusting that God would take care of him like Hezekiah did, I think he reaches out to like the Egyptians or somebody to try oh, okay. to like, like he tries to find a bigger, a bigger bully to come mm-hmm. and get his back, which when he reaches, when they reach out to the Babylonians that eventually the Babylonians are like, Oh, you guys are rich. We're going to come conquer you. So my assumption is 
if if I'm remembering the story correctly, the idea of asking for a sign wasn't wasn't in the context of you need a sign in order to believe. It was like rather than just rejecting Isaiah mm-hmm. and being like, no, no, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ask Egypt for help. Yeah. Um, like you didn't even like try to consult the yeah. prophet. You didn't even try to see what the Lord was saying. Mm. Um because Ahaz is not painted as like a good king, I don't believe. No, I don't think so. Um, and asking for a sign, I guess the difference would be, you know, I've actually talked about that on this podcast before. Um, mm-hmm. I did a whole thing about casting lots yeah. and, you know, Gideon wanting a sign and how it's often a mistake that we read Gideon the wrong way a lot of times because when Gideon, he throws out this lamb yeah. fleece and wants it to be, he wasn't being painted in a good light in that mm-hmm. moment. Like the author of Judges was like, you literally had an what are angel you doing? come yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. You made him food. Um, and yet and God still, still does it. Yeah. Um, hmm. Like God isn't like, oh, great. I'm glad that you keep, you know, <laughs> doubting me. Yeah. It's like, but no, it's like, okay, but it's dry. Go. Yeah. Do, I'm telling you what to do. Um, I, I think when Jesus picks up on that idea, hmm. I don't know. I, I think like, it'd be wrong to say that Jesus didn't provide signs. Yeah. Right. Like Jesus came doing literally signs and wonders. It's true. If Jesus didn't do any miracles, why would anyone listen to him? Mm -hmm. He'd just be a good teacher. Mm -hmm. So it's not, I don't think Jesus was saying the fact that you won't believe without some type of demonstration that I'm of God. Yeah. Well, that's not weird. (laughs) He came with tons of demonstrations from God. So I think the challenge of that story um and maybe i could rethink this more if i spent more time on it i'm I'm just spitballing off the top of my head here yeah i think the challenge for jesus is like you guys have seen like you literally have seen me heal people mm-hmm. you've seen paralyzed people get up and walk yeah. and you still you know what i'm done with you guys the only sign you're gonna get is <laughs> that i'm gonna come out of the- yeah but think about what he says the only sign you're gonna get is like jonah in three mm-hmm. today and I, I even on this podcast, I did a whole episode. What is the greatest, most powerful, most important sign of all Christianity? The resurrection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was literally saying, "Yeah, I'm going to give you a sign that no one can ever refute. Mm-hmm. When I walk out of a grave, there'll be not there'll be no questions asked at yeah. that point. Yeah. The only thing you'll be able to do then is somehow try to." doubt and question whether I actually came out of the grave. Because if you see me walk out of a grave, there is no other sign you were ever going to need for the rest of your life that I am. That is full vindication mm. that I am who I say I am. Yeah. So that is the sign I'm going to give you. Yeah, I'm going to defeat death and you're going to see it firsthand. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think we got to be careful of saying like God is angry at us if we're like, gotcha. can I get some proof here? Yeah. Um, he did give us some proof and then he told Thomas to put his holes in his hands, you know? That's true. And so I don't know. It's, I'm yeah. always kind of cautious in how I read those passages and what they mean to me. Yeah. Well, and like you said, taking the, I don't want to say creative Liberty. What you said, what well, your idea of like trying to imagine, right? So putting yourself in that position of, Hey, you know, Jesus wasn't specifically saying, Oh, anybody asking for signs is, is terrible. But the mm. fact that these are people that you have continued to see these signs and it could be more of a heart issue of like, you, you, yeah, you you're, just, you're gonna reject me anyway, no exactly. matter what I do. I, yeah. I that yeah. feels like the tone. Like yeah. it doesn't matter what I do here. You're just yeah. not gonna accept me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm 
And all you're <laughs> Come doing, talk you're, to me after the resurrection. You're not asking for truth, you know, and, and answers to your questions. All you want are yeah. continual signs and, you know. And if you follow the story, though, yeah. many of those people rejected him yeah. until the resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Peter gets up in front of many of them and says, hey, guys, mm-hmm. the Jesus that you crucified rose from the dead. Yeah. And 3,000 people get baptized in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So I think once Jesus does give the ultimate sign, then people are like, oh, crap, okay. he is the Messiah. Yeah. We were yeah. wrong. Um, yeah. That's, signs are tough because we all want confirmation in life. That's, that's normal. It's human. Yeah, definitely. All right, so last one, Isaiah 19, verses 24 through 25. I do have that memorized. So, and it says, no. <laughs> it talks about a day. And I'm curious if you have an opinion on what day this refers to. Sure. Is it a prophecy that scholars believe has is to come, has already come to pass? Yeah. On that day, Israel will be the third party to Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of armies has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. And Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So sure. The question on that day. What, so there's a couple things. That? There's a couple of really big things that come out of Isaiah that, man, there's no consensus on. Yeah. Um, but you can pick up at least how Paul and the New Testament authors understood it because mm-hmm. they clearly saw something to it. Yeah. So from Isaiah's perspective, he sees two things and i kind of talked about this the first thing he sees is the destruction of israel he sees problems right but then he sees past it yeah and on the other side of it he sees something good he sees us a, a servant like the son of man a, a suffering servant coming and leading the people uh a, a shoot from jesse rising up and yeah. growing he sees a king coming a messiah he doesn't use the word messiah but he sees that coming and in doing so he sees the whole plan of God coming to its its ultimate point, which is blessing the world. And a couple of cool things happen in Isaiah. The first is there's an expansion of, and and it's you you have to look backwards to see it. I don't know that I don't know that Isaiah's contemporaries would have seen it, and obviously a lot of the early Jews didn't see it. There's an expansion of the plan, where yeah. leading up to this, it's all about this little tiny nation state in the Middle East. Yeah, and suddenly Isaiah's like, actually, after this it's going to go even bigger. Mm. And we're going to realize that the temple, my house, God's house, was always meant to be a house of prayer for the nations. And that eventually God's plan is not just to restore this nation, but to give as your inheritance the whole earth. Mm -hmm. And in that, in when that happens, we'll see what we've been waiting for. We'll see the culmination of the promise uh, right after the garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And Isaiah likes these like really cool metaphors of like the lion and the lamb or not, uh, is it lion, lamb or wolf and lamb? Like obviously two things that are killing each other, finally being at peace. And he uses this uh, phrase of like beating your swords into plowshares, Mm -hmm. which for Isaiah is the idea that you have this piece of metal you're using to kill people, but eventually we're going to get back to cultivating the earth and you're going to turn that sword back into a farming tool. Mm to make good things and grow. So Isaiah sees that future. When Isaiah wants to describe that future, he, like many other people, have a couple of different terms that end up being used that are kind of interchangeable. Um, I think the most dangerous problematic one is when we (laughs) use the words the end, (laughs) because for us, we think of like the end of space and time. Yeah, They were speaking of the end 
more in the sense of the end of this brokenness, the end of exile, the end of not being what we're supposed to be yeah. in order to bring about something good. But then you also had the an age to come. Yeah. Um, the word age has a bit more of this sense of like, a whole eon a season of time yeah. like we're gonna we're gonna shift from this broken age to a better age the one that will come um and then of course even you continuing sometimes the word end or last is just this word day and this isn't i don't think this is like some callback to genesis one or anything i think it's just like it's just a way of speaking of like yeah. in that time in that day so the day of the lord by almost all the prophets refers to one of two things but simplistically as possible the day of the lord is whenever god does what he says he's going to do yeah so if the prophet is announcing destruction the day of the lord is when fire falls and everyone dies mm -hmm. right yeah if he's announcing a return from exile the day of the lord is when Ezra and Nehemiah get to come back. If he's announcing full culmination of the creation, mm -hmm. then that really hasn't happened yet, has yeah. it? So that becomes the bigger problem. Gotcha. If he's talking about the full culmination, well, his words, along with other prophets, seem to be a little bit mixed because clearly some of what he's saying is referring to the coming Messiah and the outpouring of the Spirit, mm -hmm. which happened in you know, 35, 40 AD. Yeah. But now it's 2023, almost 2024, and yeah. some of those things still haven't happened. So what Paul and others pick up on, and I think Paul is the clearest one in this, is he actually uses the metaphor of a day, and he talks about um, daybreak. Yeah. And he yep. says, look, actually, here's the thing, guys. The mystery that we weren't ready for is that we thought the Messiah was going to be the day. We thought yeah. he'd show up and the sun would be up in the air and it'd be the day. Instead, the Messiah came and like ended the night yeah. and the sun started it's creeping over up. the horizon. Mm -hmm. So now we know it's there. We believe it because I'm starting to see light. Yeah. We have the promise from the resurrection, the outpouring of the spirit, but the sun actually hasn't fully risen. So yeah. what do we do? Mm -hmm. Well, we wait for the day when the sun is fully risen and Jesus comes back and ends all suffering and finally yeah. even Isaiah's prophecy is fully fulfilled. But we live until then in the daybreak. Yeah. We live as though the day is here, choosing to live as new creation, even though we're not fully yet there. So that was my super long answer to say, I don't think Isaiah would have thought that yeah. certainly the jews didn't think that the early yeah. christians didn't think that yeah. nobody thought that mm -hmm. what you're leaving jesus where are you going you can't leave it's <laughs> yeah. the day yeah. no yeah. actually so i think yeah. isaiah saw the day as being a moment when israel starts to become what it was supposed to be yeah. which was the outflow of peace and shalom to the whole world mm -hmm. the end of war where assyria and egypt and all these warring nations finally throw their swords down and start bringing goodness to the world like we're created to um, because the coming Messiah comes and leads us in goodness and yeah. Israel becomes the light to the world they're supposed to be. Um, which Paul is like, okay, we're grafting to Israel, start doing that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Start being a light to the world now and then trust that one day it'll all come to culmination. Yeah. Uh, theologians call it the now and not yet. Yep. Uh, there's also the word inaugurated eschatology, mm. uh, which is a great like the spelling <laughs> B yeah. word to trip up sixth graders. <laughs> inaugurated eschatology. Can you put it in a sentence? Uh, which is country inaugurated. Of, country of origin. Country, uh, <laughs> can you repeat the word, please? It's uh, like inaugurated as it started. 
eschatology end times, the gotcha. study of the end or the last or the fulfillment. Um, it started, but it's hmm. not there. We're in the end times and we have been for 2000 years. Yeah. So, wow. Thanks. Fun stuff, man. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate well, it. This was good, and uh, I always enjoy it. And I uh, hope it was useful for some some folks listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I I got good feedback last time you were on. People enjoyed our conversation. It was a so. good thing for them to listen to to put them to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what all like stars is. Uh, it's like oh, you stars, I'm asleep. Yeah, my go. voice. Uh, I talk in the mic like this, and I'm very <laughs> soothing. Um, but no, it's, uh, I enjoy doing this. So yeah. thanks for joining me. And uh, thanks for having me. If you are listening and you have any other questions for a future episode, shoot them my way. Pete at risechurch.com um, or uh, find me on social media, those fun places. And uh, yeah. Oh, and my, I've said this many, many times, but I mean now my book is almost, it is being processed Woo-hoo. with uh, Amazon. And so uh, it'll probably be available for sale next week. Sounds good. So I'll, you'll see a bunch of stuff on social media. Copy. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, so anyone that's interested in that. And I, I talk into some of the Daniel and some of the stuff in the book, so. Great. Um, we good. All right. Thanks, dude. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. You consume me and I'm